0: Everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and I have another repeat guest host on with me today. You guys might remember Nurse Papa, David Metzger, from back in the summer when he came on to talk about his book that's going to be coming out. We're getting closer to that date, and also he's got some more news. Hey, David.
1: Hey, Tina. How's it going?
0: Oh, it's good. Well, it's, it's okay. <laughs> but... <laughs> How are you doing? What is this new project that you've got coming out next month?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, so what is coming out next month is a podcast um, from Nurse Papa as well. It is meant to support um, the book that will eventually be out. And the podcast is called Nurse Papa and involves my role as a nurse and a dad and kind of diving into these stories of parenthood and coming out on the other side with with you know maybe some wisdom and knowledge about what it's like to be a parent and what it's like to be a nurse. And then in each episode, we have a letter from one of my listeners in which I answer a parent question from Nurse Papa.
0: I think that is so cool. So, you guys might remember if you listened to that episode back in the summer, uh, I talked a, bit, a little bit about because I got to read some of his book, and you, I think you will enjoy the book. And so, if you Uh, If it sounds like something you'd be interested in, I think you're also going to enjoy the podcast. It's a little different format, which is really fun to listen to. It's got some really cool sound effects and children's voices and that sort of thing. So it's just kind of a really nice—it's kind of hard to explain, but just entertaining— and almost comforting kind of just hearing, listening to your voice and your words of wisdom. You are a very wise person. And I think it probably has to do with the fact that you are a father and also the type of nursing that you do, having that insight that you have.
1: Yes. Well, like most most things I do, Tina, it is a little bit hard to explain. And you can definitely ask my wife about that. And she will testify that it's true. I do have my kids on this podcast. I pay them with peanuts and hugs. So um, it's been it's been pretty good so far, and it's been a lot of fun.
0: Well, good. Oh, I'm excited to. I, I, I got to hear it the first couple of episodes, and I'm excited for you for your podcast coming out, and I can't wait for your book to get released later on in the year. I guess we can get started with our bad doctor story. This is a sort of a quirky story, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it's. I, quirky is a good description of it. Yes,
0: it's just something else. I tell you. So, I have. I kind of wanted to do something that wasn't so dark, I guess. Now, I don't mean that there isn't some dark material. I mean, obviously, what happened is not good. I just mean, it was kind of back in the day. It was a a while ago. So, what I would say, whenever I do stories that are kind of everyone involved is not around anymore, it's a little bit easier because I know that there aren't victims or victims' families that are going to hear it potentially. Also, I, I say it's a bad doctor story, but you guys this is more of an imposter, I, I think more of an imposter story, although she was technically legally considered a doctor. So this is just so bizarre. This is the story of Dr. Linda Hazard, and what an appropriate name. Very much so. Do you ever find it interesting when people's names literally sort of go along just coincidentally with some bizarre fact of their life like that?
1: Yeah, it's it's very appropriate for her, actually. She was a hazard for most people that she came in contact with.
0: So, this is the story of Dr. Linda Hazard. And so, she was born in Carver County, Minnesota in December 1867. I told you it was a little back in the day. She had seven siblings and then went on to practice alternative medicine, but she never actually got a medical degree because there was apparently a loophole in the state of Washington um, at the time, uh, hopefully hopefully it doesn't exist anymore. But at the time that this happened, there was a loophole that allowed practitioners of alternative medicine without degrees to get a medical license.
1: I think That's medical kind of degrees scary. are highly overrated, though, don't you think? I mean, can't we just wing yeah. it?
0: I mean, we have Google now, totally. especially.
1: Did they have Google back then?
0: Well, no. I mean, I I get that. They didn't have Google then, but now, come on.
1: Yeah, so we don't really need that. Okay.
0: Right. Why why did? and especially why do we have to go to nursing school? I want my money back. <laughs> that is true.
1: We don't really need to learn anything about medicine before we practice it.
0: Exactly. I'm
1: glad that we figured this out together.
0: I know. Someone's gonna hear if someone's just hears like this portion of it, they're be like, These people are crazy. Look at what they're <laughs> saying. <laughs> so doctor has it or not, you guys understand I'm doing like these quotes, you know, that you can't really see um when I say doctor. <laughs> the little air quotes. She claimed to have studied under Dr. Edward Hooker-Dewey. What are these people on their names? <laughs> this, guy, this guy promoted longer fasting periods to improve people people's overall health. I guess you just don't eat and then it's healthier for you if you don't eat. That food is just like kind of poisoning your body. I know I, I will have to interject here and say that that is true to an extent. I think oh, yeah. people do Overeat a lot by like a lot. I think people could probably cut by a fourth what they actually just the average person what they actually eat and be perfectly healthy.
1: Yeah, it sounds like she took this to the illogical extreme. And also yeah. sounds like, as you know, the listeners will find out pretty soon, this practice was you know just a small part of her malicious story.
0: It gets look, guys, if. If you think that, oh, this is gonna this is sounding like it's not going to be that interesting, uh, stick around. I promise you that is not the case. There's some—this woman was some—she was just crazy, okay? She wasn't playing with a full deck, as we say here in the South. Nope. So, he wrote a book. Everybody's got a book, I guess. Everybody's writing a book. I have a book, too. A book. <laughs> I know. Mad, what a coincidence. David has a book. Dr. Dewey has a book. Tina's got I, a book. Maybe I should write a book. Th- I'm just going to write a
1: book. I think you should write a coffee table book.
0: Really? Definitely. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, I'll help you. Will you help me?
1: I will definitely help you.
0: You guys heard it. I wanna this is a verbal verbal contracts are not a thing in Tennessee, but I'm gonna hold you to it anyway.
1: We will never hold <laughs> up in court.
0: I really <laughs> <And hopefully> won't. <laughs> the court of public opinion, though, they will crucify and, you, David. You're you're bound by this contract. That is true. <laughs> but I me.
1: already have a very the, the court of of public opinion is already very low of me. So
0: No, that's not true. <laughs> I know better than that. <laughs> so this guy wrote a book called The No Breakfast Plan. His book's <laughs> wait. Am I on I think I'm on this, actually. So his books were very popular. I'm I'm going to start recognizing myself.
1: You know, I follow a book that says Five Eggs and Two English Muffin Plan. Is that a different book, I think?
0: That must be a different one. That's the All Breakfast Plan. Mm
1: -hmm. All breakfast all day. (laughs) Nothing but
0: All (laughs) breakfast all day. So his books were very popular in the early 20th century, even though the British Medical Journal noted that his work was not supported by solid evidence and was, quote, delusional (laughs) (laughs) what's interesting to me that it kind of strikes me as funny if someone can come out with something totally not evidence-based whatsoever completely against science and the masses will just follow in droves these people because why why they just sound like they know what they're talking about. I don't understand.
1: I mean, I think everybody's reaching for something in life. And it's often easier to be attracted to these new things that are different from you know our current paradigms. And also, these people are unstable, probably. They are not also working with the full deck.
0: Mm-hmm. But there's so many of them. I mean,
1: Yes, there, there, there are.
0: <laughs> that there would be that many people. And I I think that there are a lot of um, pe- you know, weak-minded people who maybe fall into that, and then other people who maybe aren't so weak-minded, but they're just like, well, all those people are listening. I guess maybe I should try it, or they're just like maybe desperate, yeah, because they're sick. You know, they've been dealing, battling. Uh, Something for a long time that maybe Westernized medicine has not been able to help them with, and they just get desperate. So then they try it, and then placebo effect or whatever somehow see some results. Now they, now all these people are on board, and before you know it, you've got a third of the population following some junk science that it does isn't doing really anything but making someone rich. That's how it works, I guess. Though, so. Hazard, Dr. Linda Hazard, basically took this fasting idea um, and just ran with it. And her alternative medicine um, was pretty much based around the idea of fasting. Um, she opened her own sanitarium in Alala, Washington, and um, that was in the early 1900s. I guess people in this area uh, didn't have the best education as far as health practices, and so young women fed into her health claims regarding fasting treatments. Sometimes the women in their perception of their bodies and the idea that they're supposed to be really thin. And, you know, this is something, not anything new. Think about how long ago this was. And there were still women who were just like, "Oh, you know, I, what do I need to do to be healthier, to lose weight or to be skinny or whatever? So they all just ran to her.
1: Although, did you see so, in the article mm-hmm. that these two sisters who we will talk about had already given up both meat and corsets in their attempt to improve their health, which is at least indicating that they were thinking about something.
0: Corsets, for sure. Yeah,
1: meat's debatable. People have different, you know, eating practices.
0: Apparently, this is a, a little excerpt from her. So the path to true health was to periodically let the digestive system rest, quotation marks, through near total fasts of days or more. During this time, patients consumed only small servings of vegetable broth, their systems flushed with daily enemas and vigorous massages that nurses said sometimes sounded more like beatings.
1: Sounds lovely.
0: Gosh, this it sounds horrible and disgusting. It sounds abusive. Locals began to refer to her, her practice as starvation heights. Mm,
1: yes, and it sounds like a really nice place to take the family. I was thinking about, you know, going up there, with my kids after the pandemic's over and not eating yeah. at all.
0: Oh wow. I mean, that sounds like a wonderful, relaxing vacation. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, airline tickets are are cheap these days. So it seems worth it. Oh,
0: true. That's true. So I love how you look on the bright side of things, David.
1: That's you know, that's that's nurse papa. You know, I just you know, there's always something worse. And it's probably gonna happen that's in ch- a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: probably yeah, it's just about to happen any second now. So Different recollections of her treatments are disturbing, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Some sections of the diary of Earl Edward Earleman, Earl Edward Earleman, there's another word, another name, are on Wikipedia. And he describes feeling dizzy and then eventually getting severe lower back pain. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: so he starved on uh, on broth and oranges for two months and then went to the hospital and, and died immediately.
1: <laughs> That's not funny. I don't know why I laughed. <sighs>
0: <laughs> oh God, I don't know what I was expecting to read when I just read that, but I was like, "Well, dang, that was dark." Yeah, I got dark real fast. Um, so this is the recollections of her treatments that Kiki was referring to—the diary of this one particular person, Ed, uh, Earl Earl Earl, Earl Earlman—and saying how he felt dizzy and got started getting lower back lower back pain, and then basically, you know, he starved to death. It's it, terrible.
1: Is his name Earl Earlman?
0: Earl Edward Earlman.
1: Okay. Can we just appreciate what a strange name that is?
0: I you know, you ever, I, there are people out there who like that's their name. Like there's a, a there's an artist, like a a pop artist, his name is Philip Phillips. Oh really? Like, oh, yeah, it's just people with, and that's his name. Like that's the name. Like that's the so name like his parents
1: their, gave to him. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: I worked with a guy a long time ago. His name was Paul Revere.
1: Oh, I love I love that. That's good.
0: Yeah, I actually liked it too. And I was like, is that... And everyone always asks him, is that your real name? Yes, my parents did it to me, you know. So...
1: I can get behind that I, one. I, mm-hmm,
0: I liked it. So there were a lot of deaths at Starvation Heights, as you can imagine. But those who did survive only sung her praises to the public, not to mention when patients did die. Dr. Hazard would just attribute the cause of death to... Un, uh, that you know, they were unrelated to her treatments. She would say something vague like liver disease or they would have died of this even without my treatment, that sort of thing. So basically she didn't own any of the responsibility for the deaths that were taking place there. And it wasn't until um, there were two sisters, two sisters, Claire and Dora Williamson, that underwent her uh, treatment, started to come to the light. So Though not seriously ill, the pair felt they were suffering from a variety of minor ailments. Dorothea complained of swollen glands and rheumatic pains, while Claire had been told she had a dropped uterus. The sisters were great believers in what we might call today alternative medicine and had already given up both meat and corsets in an attempt to improve their health.
1: Tina, can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. What is a dropped uterus? Because I've never heard of that before.
0: So, um, if you think about you know, where the uterus is. Uh-huh. Um, where is the uterus? <laughs> well, it's, kind, you know, I mean, it's kind of right there, just above the vagina. Okay. So, it's where the birth takes place mm-hmm. for the, a, a baby. And so, that whole little ball, you know, that little air, that little… Um, the, what, the uterus I don't know, ball. Yeah, can drop. It can literally just okay. kind of like fall. So, this is know, this is a thing. Yeah, the bladder can do the same thing. Okay.
1: So, so is that and, like and, a prolapsed bladder? Is that?
0: Yeah, you ah. can have a prolapsed uterus.
1: Okay. So that's prolapse yeah. is the correct term. Gotcha. Okay.
0: Right. So, yeah, exactly. And I I don't know if you, I will, maybe doing the type of nursing, you, you probably haven't ever seen this, but I've actually seen a prolapsed uterus before. I it's see. kind of disturbing. If you don't know what it is, it, you'll be wondering what in the world's going on. And when you go to, you know, like clean someone up and then you see some extra thing and you're just like, whoa, what's that? So whoa.
1: so the, the uterus is actually coming out of the, of the person.
0: If it's bad enough, it can.
1: Wow, okay. Well, that seems yeah. like a serious ailment that only Dr. Hazard could fix.
0: Yes, well, thank goodness she was there, right? <laughs> <laughs> so after two months, after this treatment, the girls weighed about 70 pounds. Uh, a neighbor... Got a little suspicious and the girl's family, however, did not know what was going on. They did not share their treatment plan with them, with their family, because they knew that their family would not approve um, of the type of, of um, medical, quote, medical care that they were getting.
1: Well, Tina, can I point out that yeah. I, I, just the difference between perception and reality with these two sisters Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm reading here that they dreamed of horses grazing the fields and vegetable broths made with fresh produce from local farms. And what actually ended up happening was they were fed broth from canned tomatoes twice a day and given hour-long enemas, oh. yeah, which I don't think will fix a dropped uterus.
0: These, but what's sad is that sometimes, I think a lot of people know what they're going into. They realize that they're going for this sort of harsh you know drastic treatment and it sounds like these girls didn't really expect all of this no Um,
1: they expected something much nicer
0: yeah that's really sad um a family friend of the williams received a telegram that the girls were in the condition that they were in and this friend went to help when they arrived dr hazard's husband informed her that claire had died And then uh, when she saw the corpse, it was nothing like the Claire that she remembered. It uh, looked like a skeleton. And of course, Dr. Hazard said that that treatment that she um, had been doing, that was so wonderful and beautiful, did not cause her death, but medication from her childhood did.
1: Um, And can I point out this this little detail from the article, which I'm not sure Kiki was interested in. But when Dr. Hazard reported this to Margaret, which was the the family friend, the former nanny Mm -hmm. of Dora and her sister, she was dressed in one of Claire's robes.
0: Okay, that's just weird.
1: Yeah, it feels very Silence of the Lambs to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it almost it almost sounds like a trophy kind of thing, you know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Disturbing. Yeah, that's creepy. So Dora was still getting her treatment, and then to this friend, to her surprise, she didn't want to leave. She weighed fifty pounds, and her bones were sticking out everywhere. I think we would call that cachectic in her. Our-
1: mm-hmm. That's a great nurse term.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it was like. Dr. Hazards had brainwashed the two girls. And somehow the doctor had been appointed Dora's guardian for life. Guys, don't do that.
1: No.
0: I, I appoint someone a guardian for life. What in the world?
1: Unless, of course, you want appoint me your guardian. It's okay. But anybody else, it's <laughs> not advisable. Yeah.
0: I actually do have a friend that recently asked me to be her medical power of attorney because she doesn't trust that her family would make the right decision for her and enforce her rights Uh to not be put on life support for a long period of time. And so she asked me if I would do that for her. And I'm just like, oh, great. You want me to be the person going against your family's will when you're not able to speak for yourself? Yeah, that
1: sounds like a great position to be in. You should suggest that you would uh, like her to have two-hour-long enemas. (laughs) And she will definitely go back to her family with a different point of view.
0: Yeah, I'll tell her, I'll, I'll, I'll say, uh, let me write up the medical treatment plan that <laughs> I'm going to suggest for you. And then you tell me whether you still want me to.
1: Yeah, that will get you out of this uh, problem.
0: <laughs> That's David's advice. Yes. That's what David told me to do.
1: This is personal advice. It does not represent my institution.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. So where did I get it? Where was hey, I? you like so,
1: Hazard's uh, incredible power over these people.
0: Yes, made her her guardian for life. There was no convincing her to release her from the treatment. And then to make matters worse, Claire's entire estate had been left to Dr. Hazard. It was all in her name. They um, helped themselves to the girls' clothes, jewelry, and household goods. As you was, as you were saying, she was wearing her robe. Sort of, oh, yeah, so Oh, so horrible. I imagine,
1: I imagine it was like a frilly robe with like kind of pink like um, oh. lace on the edges. Mm-hmm. Does that fill the picture for you?
0: It does. Yes, it's so creepy. So creepy. So the family friend called the girl's uncle, who went by the name John Herbert. John came from Portland and paid nearly $1,000 for the hazards to free Dora from the treatment. So he's paying to have them stop the treatment. It
1: sounds perfectly reasonable to me.
0: So strange. A murder trial was opened for Claire's death. And then upon uh, the closure of the investigation, it was clear that Dr. Hazard was connected with the deaths of several wealthy individuals. Many of them had signed large portions or all of their estate over to Dr. Hazard before their death. And then another little excerpt that that Kiki put in here, Hazard herself refused to take any responsibility for Claire's death or the deaths of any of her other patients. She believed, as she wrote in Fasting for the Cure of Disease, that's her book, that death in the in the fast never results from deprivation of food, but is the inevitable consequence of vitality sta- vitality sapped to the last degree by organic imperfection. That sounds like a bunch of BS. Yeah. In other words, if you died during a fast, you had something that was going to kill you soon anyway. In Hazard's mind, the trial was an attack on her position as a successful woman and a battle between conventional medicine and more natural methods. The jury reached the verdict, which was manslaughter, Dr. Hazard only served two years in prison and fasted while there in an effort to prove her techniques. When released, she moved to New Zealand with her new hubby. She practiced as a dietitian there until 1920. So apparently, um, you can be a dietitian there and not have to have any kind of credentials. And then she was caught without a license. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. She was... (laughs) 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 Oh, gosh. So she moved back to Washington and opened a new sanitarium. She somehow avoided the need to have a license, but Uh she continued to supervise fast. In 1935, her sanatorium was burned to the ground and never rebuilt. Dr. Hazard died of starvation in 1938 while attempting a fasting cure.
1: Oh, I wanted to mention to that. I I mean, I wish that this was a, a YouTube video. The listeners could see her mugshot. It's absolutely chilling. Like, I think if I ran into this woman, you know, on the street, I would just instantly die. And she's got these like black, kind of
0: just sunken. She looks like a ghost.
1: She does look like a ghost. Actually, have you been to Disneyland?
0: No, no, not Disneyland in, in California. Okay.
1: No. Was a, there's a haunted man- mansion ride. There's these pictures on the wall of, you know, people who have died, ghosts, and it, it looks exactly like Miss Hazard here right now.
0: She definitely looks like pretty much any like scary ghost movie you've ever seen like the really creepy lady like the
1: the woman from the 1800s who's guarding her old house when people move into it yeah
0: so the this story was actually sent in by a listener who lived in the who lived in the area where this happened and it was kind of funny because she sent me an email and she was like hey Tina I don't know I don't even know if this is a real story or not but uh, there was a story where I live and she was like it's like a almost like folklore and it's like everyone tells it like a scary story at Halloween and about this doctor that would starve her patient's to death and then throw their bodies off the cliff. Mm -hmm. And so this story is a real story that happened, but as a lot of these things do, it took on sort of a life of its own. And I don't know if all the details of what she, of uh, the story that she knows is true or not, but there was definitely a large element of it that was true. There was definitely a woman um, that was not really a doctor, but who practiced as a doctor uh, who did starve her patients to death and on purpose i mean they knew that they were doing this starvation treatment but it was not anything proven of course to cure anything and these people were just very susceptible to that and probably desperate for for help maybe even some of them suffered for, from some mental illness and sure. that's really sad because it sounds like she was taking advantage she and her husband were taking advantage of wealthy people to take their money and their possessions. And and these people were very vulnerable. So yeah. that's really sad to me. I
1: mean, do you think that she actually believed in what she was doing and was also a crook? Because it, it seems to me like she actually had conviction that her methods were sound, but was also just kind of a horrible person at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's very possible, sure. Yeah, she's sure. criminally insane. Yes. I definitely think that's a, a possibility, without a doubt. I mean, just because her methods are kind of crazy. I, I I think that she definitely could have been that delusional herself. But then when she saw how people would flock to her and um, she could get them under her power and talk them into signing over their estate and these people are ill, a lot of them, a lot of them probably did have terminal illness. I mean, yeah. it's really sad. And she's, I'm sure, saw that as an opportunity to use them, you know, to, to gain yeah. whatever wealth and, and it's sad that she used that and would disconnect these people from their families and their last moments of life. You know, that's it's, really sad it sounds uh,
1: eerily familiar to, uh, you know, the patients in the hospital with COVID right now, unfortunately.
0: Oh my gosh. It literally, that's literally what popped into my head the second I said that because I thought, wow, how sad. I mean, there are people right now who are being uh, disconnected from their families. Yeah and have and are powerless um that's really sad to me but anyway that's our bad doctor story kind (laughs) of strange for sure
1: (laughs) super strange are you a pandemic parent for most of us each day of parenthood brings a thousand possible choices to make with little guidance on what is right for our kids with over a decade of experience as a pediatric oncology nurse I have learned exactly what makes kids and their parents tick. As a father, I have navigated the same pitfalls and comic parenting blunders as every other mom and dad out there. And I'd love to share what I have learned. Write to Nurse Papa with a question about parenthood and have it featured in an upcoming episode. Send your question to david at NursePapaTheBook.com. Nurse Papa, coming soon on all podcast platforms.
0: So our good doctor story is about an ER doctor who raised her, she and her family and friends raised more than $16,000. This is um, in Austin, Texas. So no, I love Texas. I told him it was kind of like a big Tennessee. (laughs) But that's where the story is from. It's from Austin, Texas. And this is Dr. Julie Dodd-Sweat. And apparently family and friends of this doctor uh, gathered together to raise money to make sure that Seton Medical Workers feel thanked while supporting local businesses which is really cool it's kind of like hey let's do something to sort of help both
1: yeah it's a win win so th-
0: i think that's really a g- great idea you know raise money buy gift cards from local businesses and you, then you're helping the businesses and then you donate them to the frontline workers and then you're you're helping them as well feel thanked absolutely yeah i don't think most of the people who are getting a gift card you know for to a restaurant probably I mean, they might need it, they they might need the money, but even if they don't need the money, probably just the, just the thought that, that there is a group of people that are so understanding of the sacrifice that you're making right now, that they're going through all this effort just would mean the world. To me, it means the world to know that this group of people did this for this other group of people. I think it's absolutely wonderful and and this whole all of these people this doctor she, because the doctor says that when this one person reached out and gave her a card and a gift card and she said she just just, just uh, cried over it like it was just so touching to think wow someone actually we don't get thanked mm-hmm. we didn't do not get thanked if if anything the opposite
1: i mean do um, you ever get presents from your patients or their families
0: very rarely. I mean, I we we really aren't supposed to accept really much of anything. Now, people will bring in donuts or bring in sure. you know that sort of thing.
1: Everybody um, knows that the uh, <laughs> the key to a nurse's heart is mm-hmm. some food with sugar. In it's it. through their
0: thighs. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, mostly through their ass.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I'm just like. <laughs> Like that they always come with the donuts and I'm like, you guys please this yeah. is crazy. You could, could bring some fruit or something. you know what's Gosh, really interesting
1: um, you know when you have when food is suddenly placed in the break room of a nurse's lounge, it's mm-hmm. it'd be really interesting to study how fast it would take for that complete thing to be consumed and also how gross something has to be for it not to be consumed. Oh I mean there are things sitting out that are so stale and so questionable. <laughs> But you will find that by the end of the shift, it is gone. Somebody has eaten Somehow.
0: it. I think there's always just like one or two people that are the people uh, that, yes, totally, eat that
1: totally that totally me. <laughs> I'm like the one guy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just me eating it, and nobody else is.
0: <laughs> You're like, yeah, oh, that's a coincidence. It's always when I'm there, yeah. like everything is gone. Maybe that's why I have
1: such a giant ass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know the when the donuts come in there, the the doctors at our um, hospital. Are so sweet, but they always have like four boxes of donuts every like Sunday morning, and I don't know if it's because yeah. just the they know that weekends are a little more difficult, I guess. And I appreciate that sentiment so much. It's just if even if I'm not going to eat one of them, I just appreciate that someone. Oh yeah, is that thoughtful? You know. Yeah,
1: and I think that's what it's all about—the thought and having mm-hmm. somebody you know make that gesture is. It's really yeah. great. And I think the fact that the doctor was inspired by that and kind of created a whole new thing from it is, it's fabulous. You know, she probably already gives so much. And it's funny, it's always the same people who give so much already that want to give more. So it's, it's wonderful.
0: Yeah. And their do- her daughters watched her when when her daughters received it, the gift. They, they said that they saw her getting teary-eyed about it and they knew that she appreciated it so much because she didn't get thanked. For what she was doing, and she, it sometimes you can feel it feels like no one understands, and it can feel that way under normal conditions. Being a nurse and just how difficult it is, but a, a good nurse understands that when you are your family, your your patients are and family that are there are not there under the best circumstances for themselves. They are having probably one of the worst days of their lives, and we understand that. Um, if we're a good nurse, we understand that and we try to be compassionate and caring and empathetic and we we try to let them just grieve however they need to um, and be understanding. And usually if you can be that way with people, they even if they have kind of a bad moment where they're frustrated or rude or whatever, um, a lot of times they'll come around when they see how patient you can be and how caring and how much how hard you're trying to do what's right for them. Mm-hmm. lately it's been really, really difficult to be that way because it's, uh, it's just on another level of stress. It's so, so different. I don't think anybody really um, that isn't right in there doing it and experiencing it really understands. When I see just really excellent, excellent people, excellent nurses, just considering just throwing it all, throwing in the towel and doing something totally different and getting away from direct patient care. It scares me. Yeah. Um,
1: No, it's a real thing. And um, it's definitely something that kind of inspired, you know, the book I wrote, you know, the disconnect between your life at the hospital and your life at home or as a parent or a partner, You you spend so much time giving and giving and being patient and, you know, being the best person you can be in the hospital because you are with these people who truly need it. And then you come home and that, that basket of giving is empty. You, has, you have no more to give to the people who actually deserve it. Your family, you know, your kids, it's a real problem. And I think it's a real confusing thing to navigate as a caregiver who also has a family.
0: Well, that's true. And I think that if you can't, figure out how to find that balance where you can come home and have a little bit left in your basket to offer to your family. You probably do need to figure out, you know, how to get out of that because it's not healthy for you or your family and you're not really benefiting anyone if you're giving absolutely everything to 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 that job. I yeah. mean, you really, you've got to have a little bit left for yourself and for your family. You really do.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's an there's the art of disconnect. At some point, you need to give good care and your own emotions out out of the equation, but it's a delicate balance, and I don't think it's easy for anybody.
0: Well, I agree, and I appreciate this doctor and her family, her sweet family, um, for what they did and setting that example. It's such a a sweet story, and I think we could uh, use a little bit more of that and a little bit more patience. I've just been seeing a lot of, not even at the hospital, You know, we go to get takeout from a restaurant to try to support our local restaurants that are suffering, you Uh know, these small businesses that are really suffering right now. And, you know, we'll be like, let's get takeout from this Thai restaurant or whatever we've been going to for years. And then we go there and we just, everything feels different. All the restaurants um, and places where they have, where employees are working, it feels like there's this... Sense of, I don't care. Like the (laughs) customer service is terrible. They don't really seem to want your business. Uh, That's just the feeling that my husband and I have been noticing. Like we're just like, is everybody just decided, just, you know, screw it (laughs) to heck with everything? Um, We don't really care. I
1: don't think restaurants make that much money with takeout orders. Um, Mm. So it's, you know, it's kind of this two headed snake. They need the business, but you know, most restaurants make money off of drinks and tips, you mm. know, things like that. And most people who get takeout do not drink. You know, you don't order your beer to go or your wine to go, and you certainly don't tip the way you would if you're getting in-person service. So, I it's totally different. understand why they have low morale right now.
0: Yeah, I guess I do too. It's just not easy anywhere in society yeah. right now. It's just it's, it's difficult. Hopefully, things are going to be looking up soon. If you guys are listening and you're considering uh, about you know, thinking about the vaccine, I know there's a lot of different opinions out there for some reason about whether or not to get the vaccine. And I don't want to be telling you what to do for sure, but there seems to be a lot of people that I've talked to, not just in this area, but all over because, you know, just out there in social media land and all that that seem to be saying they're going to pass on the first round of the vaccine because they're just afraid, you know, what's going to happen. I actually was afraid of it at first, too. I had a little reaction, an adverse reaction to the flu shot this year for the first time ever. Oh, no kidding. And I was really shocked. It scared me to death because I had, like, eye pain. I some nerve involvement, and I, I was just like, oh, dear. They're, like, I I guess the reality kind of set in that's possible for something like that to happen but when it comes right down to it, I we have to, at some point, trust that um, the science is going to work. And when I would rather get the COVID vaccine and give our society the best chance it has at getting back to some sense of normalcy, and also prevent myself or someone else that I'm around from ending up in the fate that so many people are in at the hospital right now, which is not good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, getting on
0: ventilators and not getting off and it's just awful.
1: I think it's important to hear that from somebody who actually takes care of COVID patients and, you know, is very well aware of how devastating it can be when you actually get COVID, even for young people. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I will be first in line for when they allow me to, to get that vaccine. And I think it's, you know, part of my responsibility as a healthcare giver and as a person, you know, who lives in a society where other people depend on people accepting this vaccine as, you know, as just a, a part of life. We need it.
0: Absolutely. Well, David, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast and agreeing in, into a verbal contract with me to help me with my book that I'm going to be coming out with at some point.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's going to hold up in court for sure. No, I'd, I'd be happy to help you with whatever you need help with, Tina.
0: <laughs> Thank you. And I'm excited about your podcast. You guys don't forget to, I'll remind you again uh, when it does come out, to look up David's podcast, Nurse Papa, and his book. And we'll we'll send out more. You'll probably come on between now and then yeah, before hope your book so. comes out, I'm sure. And I'd like to remind so. your, view-
1: your viewers, um, if you would like to um, support the podcast and even participate in it, I do accept letters from my listeners from parents who have any kind of question about parenting and I will answer that letter and if you're lucky it will appear on my podcast and I you know really hope to hear from some of you
0: nice you guys be sure and send in uh, your questions, and you know you can find me at goodnursebadnurse.com. You can email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. And I love to hear your suggestions and even your gentle criticisms. <laughs> Just be gentle, guys. I'm sensitive. And uh, you can find us at GNBN Podcast on Facebook and Twitter and goodnursebadnurse on Instagram.
1: And you can uh, and send questions to me at david at com. David at com.
0: You guys, be sure and do that. So I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Becoming a parent is like stepping into the great abyss. Even though billions of humans have walked the same path, some leaving behind tales of their journeys, the parenting experience still remains a great adventure. Join me a pediatric oncology nurse and father, as I take a deep dive into real stories of parenthood and come out on the other side with a greater understanding of what it means to love, despair, and everything in between. Nurse Papa, coming soon on all podcast platforms.